1: Hi, this is your host Stuart Wright, cutting in to say that my interview with Adam Ray Meyer started without me getting a chance to introduce my guest, as I think we spent about 10 minutes before I uh, cut in with what is the podcast interview. So without further ado, this is my interview with Adam Ray Meyer, writer and director of *Dear in America. Well, let's talk about your movie, Dinner in America. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, when, when, when and where can people see Dinner in America in the UK?
2: Arrow. Uh, it is streaming on Arrow Player mm-hmm. on June 1st. Fantastic. And Blu-ray will be coming shortly thereafter, I think a month or two after. I'm not sure the exact release okay. date, so we'll find that out soon. But, you know, I'm excited for that, too, because this is the type of film for physical media collectors. It's, it plays grindhouse adjacent and it, I, that's, that's been one of the greatest joys I think of the film uh, as far as like festivals and exposure and whatnot is that it's very nimble. It can do both, you know, kind of prestige art house type of festival thing, or it can play, a hardcore genre festival with like a lot of times we're like the sole comedy in a sea of horror films. And that is super cool because my whole background and my whole love is horror. And, you know, uh, late, mid to late seventies to mid eighties is my sweet spot right in there. Like everything I love is in that sweet spot. Right
1: well, look, let's give people the tease then. What what? How what, Give us a brief synopsis of what Dinner in America is then so people can understand what we're talking about. <laughs> Brief synopsis of Dinner in America. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh,
2: we had this brilliant brief synopsis that we rattled off, like, robotically, that we always did, like, super robotically. So I'm trying to remember what we actually said.
1: Um, Have the battery's gone on your robot? <laughs>
2: yeah
1: well a lot a lot's
2: happened in the last 15 months i i feel like I've been through the meat grinder and shot back out you know um, okay
1: well i'll i'll give i'll give the world what i'll i'll repeat what it says on on imdb and then that then you can add to it or take away if you think i'm um, it's it's missing a beat but yeah. on the land punk rocker and a young woman obsessed with his band unexpectedly fall in love and go on an epic journey together through america's decaying midwestern suburbs.
2: I think that's spot on. Now, we had some other thing that we were playing with, uh, but at its, core, at its core, it's a love story, you know, uh, designed by somebody who's obsessed with genre films. And, uh, well, I, you know.
1: I, I, I said to a friend of mine after I first watched it, I, I said it was an nihilistic coming-of-age story, mm-hmm. in a way.
0: That's great.
1: Which kind of is an oxymoron, but it's the only way I could describe it. Really, is the sense of it was kind of no hope, but also at the same time there was there was belief in themselves in a kind of in in a sea of self self loathing. You know, it's a delayed
2: coming of age story too. Mm, You know, very much so. I've thought of it as like it's a delayed coming of age story because a lot of these things you feel like should be happening like six, five, six years earlier for patty you know mm. but it's like she's so sheltered that it's that it's kind of a, a delayed coming of age story on her end you know well look, you, think- you
1: wrote and directed this adam and and um so for you what was what was the kernel of the idea that set you off on the road to put a load of index cards and post-it notes all over your wall and and it's funny because
2: the index cards for some projects and then others are way more freeform. Go on. For dinner in America, we have to travel back in time to 2006. Okay. Winter. I'm in Nebraska. Uh, and we have to go back a little bit even before that to the, the mid 90s.
1: Hmm.
2: I'm in college in the first couple of years I went to college in, in Nebraska at the university. And there were all these flyers all the time posted up for this Harris labs where you could go, uh, to do these clinical trial studies. If of course you didn't smoke pot or do drugs or those things, if you had a clean system, you could go and do these clinical trial studies. And I was always like trying to convince my friend, Hey man, maybe we should do one of those studies, go get like 1500 bucks. You know, all we gotta do is sit there for, couple. it seemed like easy money, but you had no idea what they were really going to do to you in the lab. You know, I'd also a big fan of, uh, uh strange behavior or, or dead kids as its own. I don't know if you know that film, 82, 81, 82 and there. Um, so you never know what's going to happen in those clinical trials. You could get your, you get your mind, <laughs> you get your mind erased and one of them become a robot or something. So, uh, there was a seed, I guess, when I to see, used to see these flyers for this laboratory flash forward another decade and I'm visiting my parents it's the winter time the there's been some snowfall and the trucks come through plowing the snow and shooting out salt and sand hmm. to get rid of the ice. I decide to take a walk and you know that that feeling when you're outside and there's snow and it's just dead quiet yeah one of my favorite things in the world. So I'm walking in my boots in this, in the, along the side of the road, and the cadence and the rhythm of my bootsteps on that sand started to build this rhythm. And I instantly thought of Simon as the character. Oh, I thought wow. about him moving. I thought about him moving through space and time with a cigarette in his mouth. And it was just this. It was this rhythm and the essence of the character in that moment, I, I ran back, got on, I think it was a manual typewriter. I don't even think it was. I typed it up, uh, the whole first part, the first part of the film. Him at the clinical trial studies. He, gets, he meets a girl, and you think he's going home with the girl. Everything that ends with him throwing the chair through the window yeah. and escaping the first house. I wrote all of that in one little burst based on the rhythm and the cadence of my footsteps that conjured up this character, smoking a cigarette and moving through space-time. So that was the the original seed. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up seeds because I treat my project garden, I have up here my feature garden on this side and my TV garden over here. Everything's, you know, you, you develop seeds and they mature over long, periods of time there the maturation periods on the 54 projects on this side over here go from 20 years to five there's every five to 20 years like not no projects that I've developed have had any less time than that I'm a big you know I I plant the seed and then I water it and tend to it and so 2006 for conjuring Simon Mm. 1996, let's say, for the information about the laboratory. So that thing's just floating around out there for a long time, and then it sticks to this character, Yeah, and that becomes a thing. A punk rocker who pays for his recordings, his studio time, by selling his body. That's, okay, I've got something there. So I start trying to figure that out, what that looks like, and it was a folder that I had called Kicks, and it it was all about this character getting his kicks, you know, he was getting his kicks and he was doing this stuff to make it go anywhere. 2009 I'm writer's block on another project. And I create a folder called dinner in America. And I just start riffing on this nuclear family, this Midwestern nuclear family. Everything's very vanilla, very beige. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the taco seasoning's too hot. The, you know, it's, it's, the daughter asks what cumin is like, it's just a fucking nightmare. You know, it's this rhythmical nightmare and every, and it's, everybody's just, it's just jabbing, jabbing, jabbing at each other. And and so I started ripping this family out and that project was called dinner in America. It was just an abstract thing. I just started making random scenes with this family. Um, the first of which is the actual scene. The first time you see the, uh, the family together, like Pat's coughing and, you know,
1: uh, all of that, that initial thing was all written in another. Have you, uh, out of interest, and have you always been sort of comfortable with that idea of almost like, because it's almost like treating everything like in the abstract until they join up, isn't it? Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: I feel like, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, it's took it's I think it's took me about the last 10, 10 years to get comfortable with the idea. I could just write about, I don't know, an old woman tending her plants and I'm witnessing something and not know what to do next with it and just park it. Yeah.
2: I, I take all of those seeds and I make folders for them hmm. and, and I color them and I, you know, they're all in different, like they're all very organized and they're arranged. Mm-hmm. And so I plant those things and I just water them. Occasionally I'll drop in two years after I'll write one line and I'll get out and put it away. And so that goes on and on i've I've come to accept this that it like everything doesn't have to be all at once that it really if you're very patient with things, you'll do it over time, and they'll kind of fall in also too it's more fun for me. It's way more fun to be sort of surprised with things sometimes and so so to my point with that, let's say it's now about two thousand and thirteen, right so. I was doing the the Patty kind of seed thing. I had writer's block, was writing something else. Now Flash, you know, we're going to shoot forward four more years and I'm dinking around with the the Patty thing, the Dinner in America folder and I think initially I had some boy that was kind of moved in down the street. It felt, it was more of a high school type of thing than it was what it ended up becoming but there's only so many things you can do with young people. There's got to be the opposite sex or, 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 a, or a, there's got to be some type of thing or a relationship of some, it doesn't have to sure. be the opposite sex, but it just needs to be, there has to be something going on in there. And so I think I had it almost like a kind of like a Heather's type of thing. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. a new boy, a new student. And, and Patty was a bit darker, more macabre than she is now. Like it was a little bit different. So what ended up happening, I thought, at some point when I was dinking around with all of this, I was like, what about that character from Kits? What about if he, what about if you did like a day in the life, a day in the life, and then these, you combine these two things in a weird way, and then those two people get together. And I was, then it clicked. And I was like, yes, I'll combine the two elements. And now I have something. Now, this is, look, it, it went, we're talking 1996, 2006, it was 15 years later from a Harris Lab flyer that I'm noticing, you know? And it's it's now a script that I'm going to write, and I'm going to spend another six years getting it to get premiered, you know? Like, it's going to take six yeah, yeah, more years yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. beyond that.
2: But my point is, those things float in, they float out, they float by, you grab a piece, you... You know, it's, it's all, it's all one thing. It's but I think it's because
1: one of the things I was taught early on was, was always to write things down. Don't, if you have an idea, write it down because ideas, if you don't write them down, have a tendency to just poof, disappear. Well, I'm one of those
2: people that actually writes the ideas down. When they come to me, doesn't matter if I'm up in bed and I'll have an idea. I will physically get up, go downstairs, be half asleep and just type it out and come back and look at it in the morning and see if there was something there. But I, I can't let them go. I can't let something beautiful go when I think of it. I'm just like, oh,
1: I want to do that. Well, know? look, I mean, so- given given that Genesis and that time period, then I, as 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 someone that's seen the film and talking to the audience here as much as I'm talking to you, is that the concentration of that idea in the first ten minutes alone is is a phenomenon to me. I just I would I can only I can't praise you high enough because. In 10 minutes, you managed to satirize paid for chemi- pharma research and destroy the nuclear family. And we've barely started. And it was just like, I'm like, where am I going? I don't know, but I'm comfortable not knowing because that's more fun. And then let's just set up this poor
2: girl for like the shittiest day of her life. Really? Oh. It's just like, but it's just par for the course for her day because it's just every day is this thing. Mm you can't even eat a fucking sandwich at a bus stop in private, you know, like have a private moment with a sandwich, just like anything. It's like, it's two tracksuit wearing guys are just all over her from the second she lets her guard down,
1: you know? No, the, the, uh, the Lord of the flies aspect of being a young person is, is um, it's perfectly portrayed in this movie. It's like, you can't even just um, mosey on by and be yourself without drawing attention, you know, without asking for it, you will draw attention. If you ask for it, you'll get worse attention. So there's a kind of Faustian deal about being just young. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the, one of the newer projects
2: I'm working on, uh, it feels like a very, you know, like a cousin to this. Hmm. It's another coming of age type of thing. that's even more personal to me. And it's, it's funny how, and just how much things have changed. Like when I, as I grew up, like you just walking down the street, people just came and just beat on you real quick. And, I mean, just like it's stuff that probably doesn't happen like that today. Like, like just
1: a different time. Time. Uh, well, obviously, punk rock's at the heart is at the heart of um, your, your your story, um, both from the artist and from the fan. What 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 particularly drawn on there in, 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 from a personal point of view, or is 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 it well? I grew up uh, playing in bands mm-hmm. and stuff as a as
2: a you know teenager like uh, so I when they get to the the part in the film where they're in the basement that's very personal to me that's like that's like deeply resonating with me there this was a this was a vehicle by design that I could show uh, a glimpse at that process and what that means to me personally like the joy of like home recording because i've been a, a big home recorder for 30 years hmm. so i've been doing it for 30 years and i you know part of the process for me there, there's an eighth of the page there's an eighth of a page in the script that's terrifying you know which is they perform that patty sings this song and it's fucking great like <laughs> that's a lot of pressure right yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah. i know what you're, you're, mean. Like,
2: you're like I think it's something like she belted out and it's fucking amazing. Like it's, it's just this little skinny part of a page that doesn't describe it any more than that. And I think for the producers always, um, you know, they didn't have the reference point that I had. They hadn't done, they hadn't spent just thousands and thousands and thousands of hours recording. Like I was a daily recorder for 20 of the 30 years I've been playing. Wow. So, Daily, every day on my four track or my 24 track, every day recording. So I have something like 650 audio cassettes of recordings. I've got three computers with 180 gigs of songs. And I've spent like serious amounts of time recording. So for me, the thought of recording a song with, you know, my actors I it it didn't I was so unshaken by that or like (laughs) there was never a point at which I was like scared it was I kept telling the producers I think I think ahead of things you know initially people probably wanted like well what's the song going to be is something that I heard you know and my whole response to that is well what's the vessel that it will be emitted from Because until I have that, from a design standpoint, I can't really say. I hate being abstract, but Mm. that's also a reality. So it was about casting, you know, Emily, because she's going to be the one that sings the song. Kyle doesn't have a music background, but I was able to work with him in a way like just to... We did, he has some basic knowledge of like, he did another movie where he had to play guitar. So he had like some basic stuff. And I designed something that I knew he could perform on camera with a degree of accuracy, like, because I made it really simple. Yeah. Uh, And I wanted the song to be something that conceivably these two people would sit down, just like the script says, wow, I can't believe we did all that in 20 minutes, right? It had to reflect what actually could get done in twenty minutes, so which for me would just be starting with a quick beat, putting the beat down, then putting some bass, some guitar over it, and then turning it over and doing the vocal track on you know four tracks you get you get four so that that was my general idea. they're just gonna lay this stuff down, record it, and do it and uh, <clears throat> so Emily had been working on prior to coming out we had. One thing, one great thing about the producers was that uh, not not one great thing uh, of of a lot of of things, but one thing that was really great that they believed in was giving us a a two week rehearsal period. Oh, cool! um, Prior to the movie, because a lot of times you shoot something and it's just people showing up on night before and then you're doing it. So that said, I didn't use the rehearsal period with Emily and Kyle to rehearse stuff like blocking or do it like reading stuff. We didn't do anything like that. It was about bonding with each other. And um, the best way for me to do that is with music with people. So the very first thing we did was record all of the psy up stuff that that Kyle performs. And we brought the band disco assault over from uh, across the river uh, in, in, um, in Windsor. uh, And they, uh, laid down everything and the scratch tracks and, and we had worked, I had co-written dinner in America with them and Kyle laid down all of his vocals and everything. And we did all of that. And the next day, uh, we went to a different studio and Emily and I, she had brought all these lyrics as Patty in character, like these love letters to Simon. Yeah. So she came out with all of these like physical pages of stuff. And we're just like sorting through Looking at it, and I saw that line. I'm a watermelon slammed into your driveway. Crack me open so I feel the air inside me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's our jumping off point right there." And so that's you know, I started riffing something on the guitar, and then she start. Now Emily has a background uh, in Broadway. She she did a show called Fun Home.
0: Okay, and I
2: believe she was nominated for a Tony. That's so dumb. she she has pipes she can do that yeah yeah but yeah. for patty for the character it was more important to pull her way back so it was just like a bird emitting a very pure thing and mm-hmm. that's what as we sort of sequenced the lyrics and designed it that's what it became just this very pure emission
1: yeah it felt it felt, it felt like for the first time as it were singing a song it did it had that kind yeah. of sense that she was suddenly like this thing that she didn't know was inside her was released as yes. it were
2: yes i mean and it was it was based on her relationship and this this back and f- well not really a back and forth she had just been sending all of these things to simon and like using him to pour her heart out to and now it was a real tangible thing and he was physically in the same space with her and it was i guess everything was aligned for her to just emit this sound and to do this thing and uh, that was That was a beautiful. That was the most beautiful part of this production. I bet. I bet. Designing that ahead of time to give the actors that emotional reference point to where we were going, so we could pull it back like a slingshot and release it up into that point. They knew where they were going emotionally. Um, Music can do that in a way that nothing else can. So
1: no, no. I I used I used to manage a rock band called Tokyo Dragons, who were like a kind of four piece uh Thin Lizzy ac ACDC type sound. It was a beautiful. We played with bands like Super Suckers, and uh, when they toured Britain and things, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I haven't yeah. got a musical bone in my body, but I've, I've, I like to think I've got good taste. The
2: musical adjacent. So,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm the one that smiles and goes, "That's great."
2: Taste making's like incredibly important with music, you know,
1: and having the right, having the right people around, you know, to push it. And um, one of the, one of the uh, in and amongst the kind of. The the, the the runaway story that we watch what one thing that really really stand out for me and i think maybe this is me watching it as a as a writer as much as as, as the audience Mike, is was your was your attention to detail in amongst all of the craziness that's going on because there's there's the characters their their evolution as we see them on screen and discover their their opposites and, and 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 how they attract almost like a kind of rom-com where it's like boom they're friends they're not friends they're friends they're not friends but, right. but there was things you threw at us which were just beautiful little details that gave us gave us just a kind of weird window into the world. So I'm thinking like when um when Simon's on the bus and the old deer sits next to him, or when Simon does his deal in the convenience store and the yeah. guy doesn't make him doesn't let lets him off for free on two cans of cigarettes. Those yeah. kind of things are not story critical by any stretch, but they help with or they, they really add value to the experience you're having. Yeah, What
2: is there a, was there a question? No, no. Wait. It's just
1: more like where's the, oh. where, where you 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 put in that kind of. I mean, where are you finding that to to add to the story, as it were? That part is so
2: natural, like an innate. Like those are the kinds of things that when I'm out moving through space time, that I those are the kinds of things I'm hyper focused on when I'm. I'm not a broad stroke person when it comes like, like going. I'm looking, I'm looking for stuff like that, like interaction like that between people all the time. Just when it's normal and it's not a pandemic and I'm moving free, I love that type of stuff. I love the fact that like there's an empty bus and the (laughs) the older gal sits down right next to it. You know, like just shit like that. I just love stuff like that. So I'm always looking for. Uh, inspiration for things like that. I, I I pull a lot from interacting with people and just that type of stuff. But so but also,
1: it also made us like Simon though at the same time because we've seen this angry man. Yeah. And while while it while we've all been there when you know i you know the other one would be sitting an empty cinema and someone sits in front of you you know there's the yeah, I like, know yeah. But it but he doesn't while you know he's frustrated by it and he's having a bad day. The old dear doesn't suffer for for any of his like as a sort of byproduct of his impotent rage at the, that, that moment in time. <laughs> she puts a peppermint in. It's she lovely, isn't a- it? It's a lovely it as a lovely little move. But equally, the, the the drug deal in the convenience store that concludes with oh, no, the, the the guy behind the counter is like, what do I care? And that's yeah. kind of that could be throwaway, but in a way that it it again it it, it gives us a window into a world that we that we're not party to. The film's giving us.
2: It was one of the first times, too, that I've ever written
1: with a
2: sort of theme, if you will, Mm. how we eat in the country. And with that came a lot of peripheral things of just how we do, how we operate in America. And like that guy, he doesn't give a fuck about, it's not his company, it's not his business. What does he give a shit? They're fucking ripping you off anyway. You know, here, just fucking take it. You know, so... It's that sort of attitude, how it compounds, what it looks like here, and I think everything was, all of the scene work was almost kind of tethered to like, even in that scene, he asked him, do you want a hot dog? And here's these hot dogs that aren't covered, they're not even moving, they're just laying there. And it, he touches <laughs> he me, the one. <laughs> one. No, He doesn't want. It. He smells his finger, he doesn't want it. It's just this like kind of grotesque, all of it's very grotesque. and. You know, uh, grotesquely beautifully American. You know,
1: well, yeah, well, that's a, that's a thing. I mean, I, I wanted to move on to to the cinematography because you're you're well, some of the landscape stuff is is obviously beautiful to look at. You're 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 pointing the camera in some really ugly places in terms of backdrops and and, and also sure. fairly ordinary places in terms of convenience stores or or the pet store and things like that. But there's there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, a cinem- there's a cinematic eye that's lent to them that makes them interesting because of because we're we're not seeing them from that point of view, usually. So what was your discussions like with Jean-Philippe Bernier? Yeah. Yeah. So what was your conversations with your cinematographer about the look and feel you were trying to get, and then how did you see that kind of grungy landscape and think, how can we exploit this? We had, like, three different tiers that we
2: would have shot the movie at. I, I personally had three different designs for the movie Mm -hmm. uh so if budgetarily just a little bit lower then i probably would have done more of a freeform type of thing where we landed uh jp and i were able to uh very strategically make the film and then a a, a slightly higher tier would have been just a little bit different camera design so i i'm very conscious of what i have time wise what it's going to take i've been in physical production for 20 years i came up through and editing, I edited this film, so I was a, a very aware. And it being the editor of the film too, I'm able to like while we're shooting, I'm able to like just rhythmically feel it. When I have it, I'm, I'll move on. If I'm like, you know, if I have it, I'm moving on. I'm not going to waste any more time with okay. it. So. Uh, the the great thing about JP and I was that we had a really beefy, like five or six week pre-production phase that we were able to work together. So we we pre-built and designed the entirety of the movie, like shot for shot with each other. So we sat in a room and even if we didn't know all of the locations at the time, we were like, it's a medium, it's going to do this, it's going to move to here. And then we just, we designed the whole film. And we stayed, and that way when we got on the day, um, we were able to eliminate any fat that we had if if, you know, because it's a it's a production and there's always some shit that's happening or about to happen, or a a light change, a mood change, a weather change. It's Detroit, so a weather change, like it's you you have to be flexible and and you know, mal you have the the production should be malleable to all of this too. So uh I can't stress enough how flexible you really need to be when you're shooting. You know, I think that's where most people get hung up on this one thing that they want a certain way. And it's like, never going to be that thing. I can guarantee you some of those darlings, you're going to have to fucking kill for time. <laughs> so you just have to be really open, always like a tuning fork to things as it shifts,
1: you know? I really, I really enjoyed a lot of your um, your setup and payoffs because most of them I didn't see coming, and when they came, I was just like, "If I had a hat now, I'd take it off to you." Uh, it's uh, in particular the first time we see the dead cat on the lawn and where that dead cat ends up in the story is just magical, really, because you ha- you hide a but you hide a big Chekhov's gun in plain sight and you threaten to use it, and we don't have a clue you're ever gonna do.
2: I did I didn't have a clue. I'm, I'm not, I didn't. That wasn't by design. I had no clue. I that cat thing came out of the original sketch with Patty, mm-hmm. and there was a there was a part from the film that we took away where she comes in and she's like, "Did you, she says to Kevin? He's he's watching TV. He's eating popcorn after school." And she's like, she's like trying to be cool. She's like, "Did you see the dead cat?" And she does an attitude. Thing, so you see her first day. You see how everybody treats her. And then she goes and takes it out on Kev. And she's like, did you see the dead cat? see all the maggots? And he's like, what maggots? And she's she's like, you got to flip it, look underneath. You know, it's like she was a darker kind of patty thing. And um, and so, yeah, like uh, (laughs) we, I didn't see the cat thing coming. That was always something that was there. Uh, It was there with that first dinner. But when I physically started to write the script, yeah, I knew at some point that cat was going to come into it but i this is one of the films that I freeformed um, so i I set up I set up both of those initial intros to the characters were things that I pre-wrote and had many years of time to think about, yeah, yeah. but when I sat down and actually combined them, then it was like everything else for me in the writing experience was in real time and new and fresh and linear the whole way. So much. So when we got to the, the, uh, arcade and she, after the arcade shot and she comes back and she says, I just had the best day ever. And, and, and I named the bear and he's like, what? And he, and she says, Chombi. I st- had stopped on that, and I think for three days, didn't write a single word, stared at my screen, walked around the beach, walked around, trying. I couldn't proceed unless I had the perfect name for the bear. Call it a block, call it what you will, but it I needed that. I needed this, I needed it to be something good. And Chombi was the it was the ultimate. When I when I thought of Chombi, it was it it really fit.
1: Now, Simon's character is, in, in many senses, is, is, is about is about us finding out the sort of core of his anger, whereas Patty is is the one who gets who gets to really grow. I mean, I'm not. It's not to say that Simon doesn't grow through his experience with Patty because that'd be untrue, but <clears throat> but clearly there's a there's a bigger there's a bigger arc that Patty goes on, and there's a lot more there's a lot more for her to do. I think as an actor to to, to bring that character to life because there's so many phases to who she is that we get to see. So that's a long way around in me saying, when you cast Emily Skeggs as Patty and then you start shooting the movie, what what is she doing with the Patty character that you couldn't have imagined when you were writing on the page that you're like, yes, this has just gone to the moon. Thank you very much. To recap what you said, you were saying what did Emily bring to this? Well, no, it's more like what did you, when she starts performing on, you know, the camera's rolling, she's performing and you're now getting the film in the can. What are you seeing in Patty then? It's almost like you write the film, don't you? Then you produce the film, then you edit the film. So you've got the experience of having created this Patty in your mind, and then Patty becomes Emily Skeggs. What starts with this
2: script, um, and, I've, and I've, I've read a lot of scripts, this script is very buoyant and it's very it's very spiky. It's very it's like a Warner Brothers cartoon or a Pixie song it's cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot. You know, it's like, it's, it's nice and quiet, then it explodes, and then it's nice and quiet and it explodes. Uh, like I said, it's very much designed, it feels like, I think you had mentioned it earlier, like they're friends, they're not friends, they're this, they're, it's, it's, it's hot, it's cold. Um, there's a lot of reversals like that constantly. And like you said, there's, there's repeating things that pay off like these dinners and Simon and he gets to the end and it's like his fucking prison dinner is better than anything he's had thus far. It's like, so again, there's sort of this theme, but what Emily brought to it was despite all of that really spiky like movement, she brought this grounded human thing to it that instantly makes her relatable to younger women, older women, like like they feel very connected to her. Like yeah. instant. I feel very connected to her instantly. But, you know, I get from women a lot that she's kind of an every woman, she's every girl and they can all everyone really can identify with her because her performance is just very human. Mm-hmm. And I love that about it. Like that's what stands out and that's what she brought and that's what, you know, kyle brings like he's very spiky and very you know abrasive but man does he fucking sell it when he sees her sing that song i suddenly feel completely different about him Mm. and that is that is a fucking hard thing to do that is a hard thing to sort of push people away and then yank them back in you know to to accepting that so uh both of them they brought like so much humanity to the actual characters uh, in what's a very warped and kind of wacky ride. And like when they when they pull out after they've smacked the bullies and all of that and Patty' spit on them and they pull out of that parking lot and they're screaming, like I just I love that. I love that and that just hits me And then just the simplicity of like she asks, are we going to jail and he's like probably and then you just see her pinky touch his hand it's like a start and then later on again we pay it off because the next time we see him in the car they're fully holding hands now they're holding hands, so yeah. they've had a they've shared a first kiss and it's just i don't know it's uh emily just brought so much like and, and also too his collaborators they're they're so warm so giving uh you know we really became like a little family, you know, when we made it. And I think that that's also super important, having trust with the people that you're working with and, like, you know, really um, pushing them without without physically pushing them. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I want to push my actors always to do their best. The way I can do that is by articulating things, not by other means so production becomes more just telepathic you know than anything else and having a good period of of on a project i think that if you if you haven't met people yet you haven't worked with them i think two two weeks is more than enough to like start to vibe on each other and and you know uh sort of share that collective energy for the for the project like We did not do. There was never a day where we did a read through. There was never a day where we, you know, we didn't do anything like that on this film. It was way more. You know, we recorded music together. Now we've recorded and we've done. We all have an emotional reference point. Now that's on day one and day two. We're as far as I'm concerned. If I just had those two days, I would have been okay because that exchange was the the you know the thing that we rode throughout we knew that the crew didn't necessarily know because our first week was a little rocky and then we did the we did the song at the end of the second week um the the reason the first week was rocky because we had a bunch of what i would consider bonehead uh schedule you know stuff up front like it was like stuff of them riding in the car and the bus and just a lot of ugly hard things and anytime you're moving a bus or a car with a huge rig on it you know it's it's a lot of work you know like and it's not a lot of fun work like you're getting that glare on your head right now right yeah. there in your window yeah you yeah, yeah 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 my the sunshine same same type of thing you know when you're doing the <clears throat> all of a sudden everything's been cloudy and then as soon as you're ready to shoot the sun fucking breaks through and now it's fucked the whole the whole shot you know and so yeah you got all these guys dinking around with the speed rail and shit on this car and you're like i just want to fucking shoot this thing like uh, this is like you know two hours three hours you're just like madness you know so that part um that's why it's so helpful to you know do something where you bond with your your cast prior to shooting so you just sort of have this emotional reference point
1: well one one of the things that 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 but I think with the heightened way that the story is told is that you managed to encapsulate in 90 minutes or so what it's like when you haven't escaped small town um, because you're, you're, the rules of the world are confined to your experience of the world. And if your experience of the world is of a small town and the people that live in it. So yeah. you've got the horrible bullies, you've got the awful boss and all those yeah. kind of things. I mean, and, I, and, I, and while, while England is a small, much smaller country than America, we do have small towns, you just happen to be near cities. So it's not hard to escape. I mean, I I grew up in a town in North Manchester, which is like 10 miles away from Manchester. But even then people, I used to, when I was getting to 18, 19, you would have people that you went to school with who would wonder why you would bother going to Manchester 10 miles away. We've got pubs in this town. Why do you want to go to a pub in Manchester? You're like, not that the fact that there's, proper gigs going on and there's bands coming from all around the world and things you know that never entered yeah. their heads and it's kind of you know and you, you you realize you you're escaping yeah. something and i think that's what you know you get that certainly from patty i mean simons obviously made that break and it <coughs> meant both men but only mentally he's not physically done it because part of it is he's tied he, he seems tied to the place as much as he's trying to break free which is a kind of interesting choice to make there that he's not he's not from out of it, town he's from there as much as patty is
2: And he realizes in a weird way that it's all very fleeting and that this isn't something that is going to be sustainable to be some kind of rocker. So I don't know what it looks like for him because it feels like he's already making those choices where, you know, whether he's a self-sabotager and he doesn't actually want success or wants to push that, he seems to push the guys in his band away from the idea of doing what he views as like a commercial kind of tour with this band that he thinks is less than than they are, but they've achieved some little bit more of success. The Alliance. The, mm. They're, they're ready to sign up and go on this tour if the band likes them, you know, and Simon's just like, fuck this shit. You guys are posers, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the voice of a hundred bands when Bad Religion and uh, The Offspring got major label deals. <laughs>
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh,
1: <laughs> it was a bit and it is that it is it is interesting part of the the idea of growing up because growing up means you got to take responsibility and taking responsibility means earning money. And obviously being in a punk rock band is the least responsible thing you can do in a way. I think he's a purist, you
2: know, I think he's a music purist and, and you know, an audiophile. Like, and I think that uh, for him, there's a lot of meaning in that. And I guess when you're building any character, as long as that means something to them, you're on the right path
1: for that character. You know. Well, look two two just as, two films that really resonated out of your film for me watching it that that made me think to, as reference points for people listening would be for, the obvious one because of the punk con, con, content would be um, the green, green room and. Mm-hmm while it's a different slant of what, what it's like to be in a band i think i think you definitely i mean obviously with your own experience you've described that idea of recording at home getting your own stuff flyers band band relationships i mean that was a fairly does a fairly true representation i thought the idea of they all look to him and he abuses them all yet they all look to him and he abuses them all yeah. so it's kind of a, yeah. it's like they can they can they hate to love him and love to hate him it's sort of a right. and that's just normal in bands for you know, for reasons that you know yeah. Everyone's an imposter until they succeed, I suppose. But yeah. equally, but the other, the bigger, bigger sort of um, comparison and make would be uh, God Bless America, which mm-hmm. is has got the, has got a similar kind of disdain, I guess, for 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 a modern America. Um, yeah. While well, well, at the same time saying saying in it great that we can we're free to do what we want. At the same time, it's a kind of weird. It's a weird oxymoron, isn't it? That yeah. I think it, I think the film lives in that space, you know, like being
2: simultaneously critical, uh, and accepting too. I mean, uh, of, of, of it, um, of America, I suppose. Um, I think observationally I'm drawn to like a lot of that, you know, what I think is just the injustices or just like, uh, just observationally, like just, uh, I guess ne- negative aspects, like whether in this, in this film in particular, just food and our relationship to it abstractly, like mm. whether it's Connie and the, the frozen cordon blue that, that Kev points out, you know, that it's not, it's not like she made it herself. It's frozen, you know, like he has to be a little butthead and say that type of stuff, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh Simon kind of quick to throw his experiences, his fake experiences in Tanzania, you know, at, at Kev, and and sell him on the idea, well, you have it pretty good here, you know, and eventually we find out, not only do you have it pretty good here of how you're eating, you have it pretty good here for an adopted kid, you know, so you should just shut
0: your mouth and <laughs> hang out with your,
1: your guinea pigs, you know, so. Well, I, you, I, I read today, funny enough, that um a family that, that eats together with the television off is the healthiest family. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you had the two contrasts with the two families, as much as, as much as, as Patty's family was dysfunctional in the sense of they kept a secret from their son, they weren't an unpleasant family in the same sense as, as the first family we meet where it's, you know, the kind of the father, son, the, 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 the woman self-medicating on wine.
2: And and the, you know the moms mom's wasted and and they've got a spread
1: that's a feed an army
2: like for 15 people but you know they're going to throw away most of it they're yeah. just going to throw it away so it's it's that sort of excess what sunday dinner looks like for this family and and if that's a status thing for them I'm not sure you know but then you've got norman Connie, and and their whole you know kind of midwestern frozen cordon blues and you know taco salad night, you know, there's <laughs> there's a reference point to New England clam chowder for Thursday night that sets Simon off, you know, he's like, Jesus fucking Christ, you know. But I guess <laughs> I night- guess
1: these are all signs, aren't they? And signals of that you're you've stopped discovering. You're you've settled. I mean, and it's a frightening thing when you're young looking at when you settle down. I mean I'm a man of fast approaching 50 and and to me, you know, the idea of sleeping rough and and, and getting to a gig is a ridiculous yeah. idea. Whereas in my twenties, right. right. I slept no. on floors and used my shoes as a pillow. You know, it's like <laughs>
2: no brainer. No brainer. You know.
1: Yeah. So it's yeah. It's and
2: and Simon's hovering in the sweet spot there of like he's about to figure that out. We know some of the audience knows that he's about to figure that out. He's almost vaguely aware of it too. That mm. it's all very cleaning. And you know, uh, so I, I I I like I like the little snow globe that this thing lives in, it yeah, lives yeah, yeah. in like a little when you're asking about you know time period and when it's set you know it's like or maybe you weren't you weren't asking about time period but <laughs> people do ask about time period and it's like it's just sort of timeless it just is sort of a thing you know I, no,
1: I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you that but I thought about I, did, I thought better against it because I, I like the idea that it, 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 it it's it's non-specific I get the impression it's it's trying to hold off on technology, so therefore, it makes me think it's of a different. I'm bored.
2: Time. I'm bored with seeing it's it's contemporary. Hmm. Uh, it is well the buses. The
1: buses made me think it was contemporary because they're they're immaculate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and well, Simon even says himself, "You don't want to play to his as cell phones." That's so right. Yeah, that's when that's when the penny dropped. Yeah,
2: when we go to this other screening in this other, or sorry, we go to this other show, there's no one with cell phones pointed at the thing. So we're obviously. Simon likes the energy of having a crowd around him and being, you know, the feeding off of that type of thing. So I think that, um, just in general, I'm so bored and so over looking at people in the movies, text people, I could just fucking care less. So if I can design it where they pick up a landline and they talk on it, because let's face it, like, Old phones are fucking way sexier to look at than cell phones. They well, just, you can see
1: them for starters.
2: <laughs> yeah. One thing I did. One thing I I did go for though was the hideousness of those shoes that the fucking track boys wear. Those white puffy shoes. I fucking loved that. I was like, these are the worst looking shoes I've ever seen in my life. They're just they're just an abomination. If you get a chance to look at them again, when the one has his leg over the other one's shoulder and it does the the quick zoom into it right. just look at that, that that hideous white puffy shoe it's just the worst design i've ever seen for a
1: shoe well let's remind people then when and when and how can they see dinner in america it's going to be streaming on aero player
2: on june 1st so just a just a month shy
1: of of america's birthday so uh you know what a way to celebrate
2: what a way to celebrate.
1: Yeah. Well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for having me.